And now... Last year, it went tire Hey guys, this is Marco Mendoza from Dead Daisy. This is Tate Fletcher. Hi, this is Ivan Davies from My Town. This is John Karate. It's Rocktober on the Mojo Radio Show. Oh. Let's hear it. Get it right now. I knew all the dance moves. It just makes me feel good. How long has this Rocktober thing been going on? <laughs> right idea. There's so many people, there's so much energy. Now, now, 365 days later. Whoa, whoa, stop, stop it right there! We're ready to do it all again. Ready on the lights, on the action, on the camera. Welcome to Rocktober 2017 on the Mojo Radio Show. One days that will go down in history. Stand by. It all starts. Hey everybody and welcome to October on the Mojo Radio Show. Being at 365 days in the making, it's the first week of October. Welcome everybody to the Mojo Radio Show. Good to have you on board. I've got to say, Robbo, what a great promo to start the month off, mate. Jeez. <laughs> I had a bit of fun. <laughs> I, I, there, there is, got to say, you know, straight up, th- there is no podcast in the world that has an opener or the production go into a single show like that. I mean, Lofty Fulton, come on, one of the great worldwide voice talents. Absolutely. Do you know Lofty is heard in over 110 countries around the world through MasterChef Australia? Well, do you know that Lofty will soon be on the Mojo Radio Show, the big man of international voice talents? Got a new book coming out and he'll be here, right? He does. He's a very special man outside of his voiceover talents and we won't give anything away until his book is released. But um, yeah, stand by. Amazing man. So let me put everybody in the picture. The Mojo Radio Show is all about finding people that we think are interesting, that have their mojo working in or out of work we get them on the show we chat to them we extract their tips their tools their opinions just stuff that they that they're good at that we can steal and apply to our own worlds or our own communities rocktober is a long tradition and it is a worldwide tradition where radio stations commercial radio stations would typically take on the month of october and throw everything including the kitchen sink at it with Oh, live performances and acoustic sets, special guests, giveaways, the whole shebang. And we thought, well, 
Commercial radio may not be doing it anymore, but uh, in tradition of the Mojo Radio Show, why the hell don't we bring it back? Absolutely. That's right. There may be some imitators out there, but uh, I think um, the, the Rocktober that we do is the original and the best, I think, full of you know everything, as you said, from acoustic performances to all sorts of surprises. So, um, so yeah, looking forward to a big month. And as one of our Rocktober guests who's still to come, Tate Fletcher, who is a philosopher and master of the words, we take Rocktober and just make it better up. That's right. <laughs> Anything better has got to be good, right? Yeah, yeah. Rocktober on the Mojo Radio Show. So a little whiles back, I heard an interview with our opening guest for October this year. His name is Joe DeSena. Now, this guy's a really interesting dude. He he used to work on Wall Street, but he found himself drawn into the world of racing, obstacle racing, and, and the harder the race the more Joe loved it. And Joe DeSena is the CEO and the founder of a thing called Spartan Racing. Now, this is seen all over the world. There are people, there are literally a million, and I'm not kidding, a million people a year around the world compete in Spartan races. And he's just such an interesting person because his journey is based upon him wanting to make himself uncomfortable and just see what he himself is made up of. Spartan Racing now is a $60 million business and is the most popular optical race series in the world. There's 170 Spartan Race events around the world in 25 countries, and as I said, over a million participants globally each year. He's essentially created a brand new category, and I just love this guy's attitude, and if you wanted to give Rocktober a kick in the guts real far in the belly to start it off, then this is the guy. We're delighted to have him here. Joe, welcome to the Mojo Radio Show, mate. Thanks for having me. Joe, you you do a lot of stuff, but when people meet you and they ask the question, what do you do, what do you like, how do you reply to that? What do you like to say? I change lives forever. Nice. I put that on a business card. I like that one. I, I, I just made that up. <laughs> Well, it, it kind of leads me where I want to start with it because with the whole Spartan brand uh, and being a fan of your podcast, I've often heard you guys talk about the mission is to rip people off the couch and change lives. Tell me about that mission and purpose for you. Like where, where does that come from? So I was really fortunate. Uh, I didn't know it at the time. My mother got into this stuff in the 1970s, got into health and wellness and found a Indian, Indian guru that guided her towards uh, meditation, yoga, became a vegan. And everybody she came in contact with over the next 20 years, she transformed their life. And it was um, pretty simple. It was just a matter of teaching people a different way. So with the whole... Spartan brand you've created. What's it, the message you're sending to people, what's it mean to Spartan up, Joe? So when you talk about the podcast, the racing, the merch, everything you're doing, what does it mean to somebody? How do you summarize that with somebody saying Spartan up? You know, you stop complaining about the silly thing. You 
are willing to go out in the cold, out in the rain, carry your groceries a little further than you normally would, take the stairs instead of the elevator. Big deal uh, if the shower is not hot, jump in a cold shower. It's, it's this concept of changing your frame of reference. You know, I was with a bunch of military veterans this weekend at West Point, which is a military college in the United States, and we had a race. We had 8,300 people there. And amongst them were a bunch of veterans that had, you know, missing limbs, um, paralyzed in wheelchairs. And I spent uh, the better part of the day with them. And it really opens your eyes to this idea of, what do I have to complain about? Are you kidding me? We have the, you know, we have everything we want. And um, the story actually gets funny. This guy, Noah, who runs a group called Oscar Mike, um, he had, I don't know, a dozen or so of these adaptive athletes, uh, military veterans doing the race with him, missing some limbs and wheelchairs and stuff. And I said to him, that's a great cause. It's a great mission you've got. Do you have a tattoo of your um, foundation, Oscar Mike? And he said, no. He said, Joe, do you have a tattoo of your company, Spartan? And I said, no. And so we both went to a tattoo parlor and we got tattoos <laughs> of, of, on a Saturday of each other's, of each other's mission. So he's got a Spartan tattoo on him and I've got Oscar Mike on my cap. My wife hasn't seen it yet. But, um, but my wife, my wife on the phone said, what are you doing? Are you crazy? And I said, you know, it's no big deal. These guys, these guys are in wheelchairs. They're missing art. Like I'll happily throw their tattoo on my leg to, um, motivate myself and others around me. You see, that, that sort of stuff, it says a lot for me about Joe. What, what is your own personal philosophy? You just seem like a guy, you go, that's a good idea. Why not? You don't seem to go through this hesitation in gray areas. You just seem to get after it. What What is your own personal philosophy to life, Joe? Yeah, I mean, that's it, right? Life is super, super short. And maybe I, maybe I understand it better than most because my mom died at a young age. My father died. Uh, most people in my family are dead. Um, I grew up in a neighborhood where people went to jail for long periods of time, 20, 30 years. And so you see people disappear. And so maybe seeing all that at a young age, got me to just really cherish uh, the moment and not waste any time, not be indecisive, and just get shit done. Indecision seemed to be a big issue for a lot of people. They would look at what you do, your events, they would look at people, you're talking about the veterans, and they'd make themselves feel good about it by looking at it all. But then the difference between understanding what they want to do and the outcome that they desire, there's this grayer, there's this hesitation or indecision. What what have you noticed about people that that straddle that gap, Joe. What's what's the the best way to deal with this indecision that we seem to have between every good intention, but then never getting it done? You know, I, I call it upside downside decision making, right? So, what's the upside to getting a tattoo? It it makes this guy who's uh, going to live the rest of his life in a wheelchair paralyzed um, feel really cool. It maybe motivates him uh, to push a little further on his mission, helps his mission 
uh, rally people. Hey, the, the owner, founder, Spartan got our logo tattooed on his body. Um, and then, and then what's the downside? The downside is I get yelled at. Maybe a few people say, gee, that guy's weird. He's got a tattoo on his leg. Um, does the upside outweigh the downside? And if you can do that in a really, um, quick fashion, you could calculate even the seemingly insignificant decision very, very quickly, um, backing into a parking spot rather than pulling in forward, um, choosing a healthy meal rather than an unhealthy meal, just really quick decisions and do that calculation. You're just going to get further ahead in life. And I think people get stuck because they can't, um, they can't really decide what might go wrong. Like I had a few people look at me with, with cocked heads last few days when they saw the tattoo and heard the story, just using a silly example. And I thought to myself exactly what you just asked, which is, why would they have a tough time with a decision like that? Because um, they're going to really try to play through for a while all the possible negative outcomes. And if you do that um, too long, you end up doing nothing. I want to just spend some time on that. And can you talk me through the moment that you remember when water, food, and shelter, those three words became compelling for you. Can you remember the moment where you had this reckoning about, you know what, life's pretty good if I've got these three things? Water, food, and shelter. It's a really um, powerful place to be when you're considering just that. And for me, it occurred when I started to do these very long-distance races where you don't have water, food, and shelter, and you're completely mentally and physically broken. And um, it's a very liberating place to be because you're not thinking about, oh my God, I forgot to turn the lights off in the house. Oh, uh, the coffee's no good this morning. Oh, the car didn't start. The kids forget about all that, right? You care about survival. And when you get to that place, I was recently in Scotland just a week ago and it was pouring rain. It was windy and it was miserable. And I wanted water, food and shelter. It was a great, great spot to be. I saw a video you posted, I'm not sure how long ago it was, and it was you walking quite some distance with a kettlebell and you talked about food, water and shelter. And well, I was just telling Robbo before we started recording, Joe, that you had this unusual relationship with the kettlebell. Can you run that for us? Yeah, so for the last year, well, for about a year before that, I carried a sandbag for a long time and the sandbag got confiscated at the airport and so I asked my wife to um I, I asked my wife to um get me a kettlebell when we moved to Japan and so she called you well she went online and went on Amazon which I never never really used and it was amazing a kettlebell showed up the next day or maybe the same day and I had asked her to get a 20 pounder because I wanted to carry it everywhere and um it ended up coming 20 kgs which did the math, it was 45 pounds. And so um, me being who I am, I had no choice, but that became my, my pal. And so I started carrying this thing everywhere to business meetings, uh, on and off the airplanes, cars, dinner, go to bed with it. I mean, I, this thing was just with me for the last year um, in and out of Japan. And the idea was a few things. One, selfishly, um, it would turn every moment into a workout. Right, you get out of a taxi cab, you gotta lift this forty-five pound thing up. It's just a pain in the ass. And then um, 
And so that was that was an awesome benefit. And then the other thing it would do, which is really a question you're asking, it would change my frame of reference, right? It would be so brutal when you find out you're at the wrong terminal at an airport. You got to walk <laughs> two miles to another terminal with a thing, or or whatever. The taxi cab drops you up to the wrong place, or it turns out it's a much longer staircase than you thought. And um, and you're like, well, um, it could, you know, when you put the kettlebell down, you're like, it's like being at Disneyland, right? You just appreciate what that moment. And so, um, a lot of people, I think, strive to get more stuff and more, just more, right? They want something else to be mm. happy. And I, I just simply reversed it and said, no, what I'll do is I'll pile a bunch of stuff, you know, tough stuff on, right? Run out in the rain, carry the kettlebell, uh, take cold showers, do 300 burpees in the morning. And, and then when I eliminate that pain, man, you appreciate that moment. So, um, so I just did the reverse, and it's a lot cheaper. Are you still doing the kettlebell thing now? I'm not doing the kettlebell thing, and, and the, the reason is it's a long story, but basically um, my stomach started to bother me. I've never had a stomach issue, and I attribute it, and, and I may be wrongfully attributing it to those people out there that are carrying a 45-pound kettlebell. I don't want you to stop. But um, I, I attribute my stomach issue to the, the fact that I, I would eat dinners and lunches and breakfast and have these business meetings, then all of a sudden I'm carrying this 45-pound kettlebell. My stomach has to get tight, right? So I would have almost been better off carrying two of them because then you're not, you know, being pulled to one side. But I thought that would be weird carrying two kettlebells around. Did one arm get longer than the other? No, no. You switch every <laughs> 10 seconds because you can't, you can't hold 45 pounds in one hand too long. Yeah, I was going to say. Did, um, I did 50 miles with that thing. I did a 50-mile hike. Wow. And... Um, and I put it down for a moment. We were in we were in Kyoto, Japan, and a car ran over it, and it got stuck under the wheel, wrapped around into the guy. It caused a whole fiasco. But um, but I got fifty miles done with it. You've talked about this. Joe DeSena has this fire in the belly. Where does this fire in the belly come from, Joe? I, I I read through your stuff. I hear you on the Spartan Up podcast, and you have this desire to keep pushing and finding the next thing where where do you think this fire in your belly comes from the fire i i, I think about that all the time right because i've got i've got uh, four kids here right next to me and i want to make sure they have the fire in their belly and i don't know i don't know if it's something you know with me my father lost everything when i was probably 12 11 12 13 financially and uh, my parents got divorced, and I think that triggered me trying to stand up on my own and do it for myself. And I don't know. I mean, my kids, I get them up at 5.45 in the morning. We work out hard. Um, but they have it pretty easy. So I don't, I don't know how you uh, get that fire, but that's the $64 million question. It's, it raises an interesting point, Joe, that, uh, that Robbo and I on the show for the last four years, we've had this underlying theme around resilience and grit, whether it be authors like Carolyn Adams Miller or Professor Lee Waters who are talking about resilience and grit for children to Andrew Paul, Navy SEAL. We've had this really interesting undercurrent of resilience and grit. And what I'm curious about is given the fact that you have done very well, business-wise you've been very successful, Spartan is a worldwide brand that's going really well. You've got investment properties and stuff that I want to get onto in a second. 
so the kids, the kids, your kids are growing up in a pretty, a pretty successful environment where they're probably not going to want for much. Yet at the same time, you want to bring to life that resilience and grit that you grew up with, where your parents inspired you through uh, hardships and or challenges. How does one navigate that where the kids are in a well-to-do environment but you still want them to have that backbone, resilience, and grit. How, how do you and your wife approach that? It's a tough one. It's a tough one. I mean, I, I told you what I do. I mean, my seven-year-old boy, uh, who, who I'm allowing to go in a toy store right now as I talk to you because it's his birthday, he's 10 now. When he was seven, he ran the New York Marathon. My eight-year-old boy, when he was eight, he's 11 now, ran the Boston Marathon. And they train every single morning, seven days a week from you know, 5.45 a.m. to 7 a.m. They do homework every day, but, but I don't know. I mean, they didn't, they didn't wake up and say, Hey, we want to go run the New York marathon. I said, Hey, come on, let's go do this. So I don't, <laughs> I don't know if, if my, if my, um, push in the training and the healthy food and, and, the, and the hard work and the messages and them seeing me work hard. I don't know if that's enough. I joke all the time with my wife that maybe we need to move to Calcutta for a year and live in a slum or something and kind of recreate that little taste that I got when my dad lost everything, right? Put them put in a really dire uh, economic situation where they're walking, you know, six miles to school every day carrying stuff on their head. And I say that half-jokingly, but, but I'm serious. How do you reckon they cope with that, Joe, just as an aside? I don't know. I mean, that's a good question. I mean, I, again, I'm trying to give them all the tools, but, but to your point, um, we have it pretty damn good. I had them with me at West Point. They saw all the guys missing arms and, 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 and legs and people in wheelchairs. You want them to see that. But, um, you know, they're, they're 11 and, and under, so I don't know. I don't know if they're really getting it. They might need a year in a really tough place. Because even we've been living in different parts of the world to give them some resilience, but in reality, the places where we're living are beautiful places. And so, um, yeah, yeah, it's a little tough. They go into a, a new school and have to make new friends. But like I said, it's not Calcutta, right? It's not Siberia. I, I reckon that uh, my wife and I would have a, a tough time coping with it. Kids are probably more resilient than we are. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, they're probably more resilient than we give them credit for. But I just want to, just on that, yes. I'm going to take a, take a little off-ramp here for a second for you and Courtney. In 2004, you moved to Vermont. Beautiful location. But when you got there, you took over the local store, uh, created a hotel for corporate events, You've obviously got a very successful global brand in Spartan. You started buying investment properties. The locals didn't take really kindly to that, and they started looking at this guy from New York who's suddenly moving in with cash and starting to buy up some of these properties and things. They they didn't give you a positive view for quite a while. How did you and Courtney mentally approach that? Because that, to me, is a representation of what a lot of people are going through today with negative naysayers and influences around them. How did you guys bear up and deal with that? Well, um, you know, again, if you take an approach that uh, we're just lucky to be alive and we have it really good, then um, then you say, is this really a big deal? Um, I don't, you know, I can't say under the surface it doesn't get to you, but I generally, I'm really lucky. I have ADD. So, when there's something going wrong, within a few minutes, I say to myself, what was I just upset about? 
Um, and it legitimately, like, it just happens on its own. So I'm, I'm very fortunate in that way. I think for Courtney, it was like, hey, this is just our reality. We've got to deal with it. Um, it was, it was, uh, it was a tough, tough 14 years, but the most beautiful place in the world. Again, we can't really complain. You've said that people have come to Spartan and some people have been overweight or they have been addicted to something or they've lost a partner or someone close to them has died and they discover Spartan and they leave Spartan being able to deal with their life better. And you've talked about the fact that struggle is an avenue for them to help deal with life. With what you've observed and seen, experienced, what is it about struggle in those sorts of things that can help us deal with life better? Well, I think it's, um, I think, again, if it changes the frame of reference, um, then then it's just going to change your whole mindset towards uh, regular life. And and um, and so when the, when the silly little things um, seemingly um, seemingly significant but really insignificant things hit you, it's like, uh, hey, I'm not falling under barbed wire, right? I'm not I'm not facing um, 300 burpees. I'm not doing this. I think it's that frame of reference change. Do they discover stuff about themselves they didn't know, Joe? Okay. Um, that famous saying from Albert Einstein, right? Adversity introduces a man to himself. I've heard you talk about the sneakers on philosophy. Could you describe that for us? The the sneakers on concept is fantastic. That was a guy I interviewed, this guy, Mortar guy, that I didn't know. I just ran into him. Literally, I was sitting on a couch. I was embarrassed. He found me on a couch. And um, <laughs> he goes, Joe, this and I read your book. And we start talking, and um, he's got this great, you know, he was at Weight Watchers almost his entire life. And uh, he, he was so upset that he couldn't lose weight. And then one day he said, wait a minute, I'm a successful guy. I'm smart. Why can't I figure this out? And he literally, he, he literally writes down on, on the wall one day, I'm going to follow this program where every single day I am going to just put my sneakers on. That's my program. And he said once he put that in place and he stuck to it, his life changed. And it's such a simple concept. You've there was a story on uh, in a magazine that I found fascinating, and it so it was a long story, Joe, on you, what you do, and Spartan, and so on. And it said that one of the oddest things about you is that most people eventually disappoint you. Yet because you're so positive, and enthusiastic, few ever realize it. Do you find that that you you set you set quite a high bar? Yet people have every good intention, but they never really meet their own expectations or your expectations. I think I do set too high of a bar for myself and, and for others. And, and as I get older, here I'm 48 now, I'm starting to realize that um, you know people are just not going to play at the level uh, you're necessarily playing at, or I'm, I'm mm-hmm. playing at. So you've just got to accept that and. Um, you know, it takes 48 years, I guess, of being punched in the face. And so I just worry about myself now. And I, you know, my mother used to say, um, love without attachment. And I didn't really understand that. You know, 30 years later, it's like, you know, you could still accept somebody, but you just got to recognize that we're all human and people are going to fall short. I fall short, you fall short. And just, um, 
just accept it because you're going to make yourself crazy if you don't. So where, where does that fit, though, Joe, if we accept the fact that we're going to fall short, yet the Spartan Code is about going beyond? Where, where is that wonder? That's an interesting thing for you now, isn't it? Where's, at, at the age of 40-something, where are you finding that middle ground? Well, I think you got to strive for the, for the fences, right? But, um, but even the Spartans, I'm sure, uh, at times fell short. Look, uh, they didn't make it through that infamous battle <laughs> so um it doesn't it doesn't always work out but but uh that doesn't mean you don't give everything you got and, and hold the line uh right to the end um, but uh people pivot people you know justify um making left turns in life people quit i see it every day every day i see it i had a guy telling me today about uh, his marriage he's got a 10 month old he's not happy he made the wrong decision. you know people quit and drop out. You've said that through your career, you've been addicted to business and you love business. How are you? How are you now managing that in your forty-somethings? How are you now managing your addiction to business, as well as having a healthy, loving family life? How how, how does Joe manage that now? Well, right now, as I talk to you, I am walking into a movie theater with uh, four kids. One birth, one one whose birthday it is, and I am uh, juggling doing an interview with you <laughs> and getting them into the movie theater. So um, you just juggle it. You just you just make it um, make it work. I, I did 300 burgers on the beach with them today. In between phone calls, I was uh, doing conference calls at 6 a.m. while they were working out. Like I just try to fit it all in. It's amazing. I'm still alive. <laughs> But um, <laughs> you, just, you just do it. On that, we, we're we Bruce Lee fans, the movie star, actor, and he had a saying, Joe, that was, it's not the daily increase but the daily decrease. Hack away at the unessentials. Is there something that you have been working on for the last number of months to get rid of out of your world that's had a profound impact on your performance or productivity or happiness? You know, I'm not great at that one, but um, I'm glad you just reminded me. I need to definitely hack some stuff out. The last few days, I have not answered emails as quickly as I normally do, and that's mm. had a profound positive impact because I get so many damn, I get so many emails, and I just, for the last, I don't know, however, however long emails existed, I prided myself on responding right away, and my policy is if I haven't responded, I, didn't, I either didn't get it or I'm dead. And um, literally in the last week, just taking a breather, um, my wife's in Vancouver, setting up, we're moving to Vancouver um, for next year, so she's setting up the house and everything, and I got all these kids, and I haven't been able to respond as quickly, and I got to say, it's pretty nice um, taking a breather. (laughs) You've got an amazing athletic background with the Iditarod and having owned Huskies as soon as I saw that, I liked you automatically. And you've also done bad water and a bunch of other incredible athletic. What what did what did bad water te- in that particular event? What did bad water teach you about yourself, Joe? It's going to sound terrible, and I'm sure it's going to upset the bad water race director. But um, bad water wasn't that bad. Um, it was hot as hell. My shirt melted. My shoes melted. But I had a I had a different frame of reference. I had come off of doing giant, you know, 350, 500 mile events 
where you're out there for eight to 10, 11 days, no shower, no food. And, um, and Badwater was, you know, basically, uh, catered and, you know, there's food stops and stuff. So yeah, it was, it was hard. Uh, and, and it taught me that, um, I'll tell you what it taught me. I've, I've experienced as we all have some hot days. I was recently down at Fort Knox and it was hot. It was like a hundred degrees. And quickly my mind went like, I could be miserable. My mind said, well, not 137 degrees. I've been there. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it just, it just, it gives you some frame to, to, to reference when, uh, when things get tough. I think that's why we need those tough experiences. What's, What's obstacle immunity? It's something I've heard you talk about. I just don't quite understand it. What What is obstacle immunity? Obstacle immunity. I'm eating popcorn without butter, by the way. Um, obstacle immunity. Are you washing it down with Coke? No way. I would never drink Coke. Um, <laughs> anybody out there drinking a Coke throw it away right now. But um, I'm sure Warren Buffett will send me a happy letter. And some C's candy. But, um, <clears throat> how to win friends and influence people. By Joe DeSena. <laughs> You're going to choke on the popcorn. But it's this idea that um, just like building muscle, um, you can build obstacle immunity. You can, by going through obstacles, by me seeing my mother die at a young age, my dad die, people go to jail, um, just dealing with tough situations, you just become more and more immune to those situations. You become better at dealing with them. And so... Um, what we like to do with Spartan, and I think this helps answer one of the questions earlier, is uh, manufacture adversity mm. and get people, uh, because not everybody has the misfortune of having those obstacles come in everyday life the way I just described them. So you can manufacture some adversity in your life and become better at dealing with that adversity so when the real, the real stuff hits. Um, you're better capable of dealing with it. Joe, if that's the case, do you almost need a little bit of reflection so you go through losing a loved one or a mate or you end up doing an event or you go through some business hardship, do we almost need to set aside time to reflect on that and to sort of analyse it for ourselves to appreciate the fact that we did go through it, what we went through, how we dealt with it, what we said to ourselves rather than just going to the next thing? Because quite often... I don't know, this seems like sometimes it means like somebody like you to go, mate, you got through bad water. And you go, oh, actually, I did. Yeah, I never thought about that. Do we? Do you find that as a part of the process? I think the academic answer would be yes. But I will tell you and your listeners out there, I happened to be at, so, at SOCOM. I think I, was, I think I was very close. No, I was at Fort Bragg. I was at the um, – I was very close to the Delta guys. Um, and it was right after Osama bin Laden was taken out and a bunch of guys came back. Um, and you know, I wasn't there. So what I'm saying may not be exactly factual, but my understanding from senior ranking official I was with is one of the guys that showed up where I was, had just come back from that mission and he was going out for food. Like he wasn't sitting and reflecting and, and, um, I don't know. I, I don't. Ref- I don't reflect much. I just move forward. But that just may be my psychological makeup doesn't um, require that. Um, others, I, I think. You, I think you need to do whatever you need to do to um, to better understand what you just went through and and 
you know, come to grips with it and then make sure it makes you stronger later. The military has told me that, um, that what they do is they push people right up to the edge of breaking and then pull them back, let them regroup, and then push a little further and then pull back and regroup and push a little further. And so um, I tend to go right to red line. <laughs> So does that mean, do you practice gratitude, Joe? I do. I um, I think I'm naturally, I mean, um, yeah, I mean, I, I'll, I'll do anything for anybody. I'm extremely um, grateful for everything I have. Um, but, and, and like I said, look, look, I was with all those folks this weekend at West Point, and I'm looking around, and I'm, I mean, Right, I'm so grateful that I have what I have, and grateful that I'm able to spend time with these guys. And get, we had a holiday this summer, and uh, I really wanted to be with the family and 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 uh, a military veteran, uh, a, a veteran group that these guys that you know, like I said, are, are have some issues uh, physically due to war. I called and said, "Hey, we want you to meet us in, in the middle of Chicago." which means I was going to kill two days. I said, okay, my daughter will come with me, but it blew the whole family weekend. But I said to myself, who cares? Like, I, I owe it to these guys. We owe it to these guys. Mm. So we jumped mm. on a plane and a car. And um, I'll do anything for anybody. Um, the frustrating thing for me, like you, you hit on earlier, is, is uh, most people um, don't play at that level. You wrote a post on LinkedIn and it was called Be Mindful, Not a Full Mind, as in mindful. How does how do you practice mindfulness as in my being mindful and not a mindful? Funny, um, I remember writing that and I was thinking, here's one of those cases where you where you tell people do what I say, not what I do. Because my <laughs> mind is pretty damn because <laughs> my mind my pretty damn full. Um, and, and I try to be mindful at the same time. Look, I, we could all be better. I definitely could use some help, uh, in this area. It is probably not healthy to be juggling your kids at a birthday party, doing a podcast and eating dinner all at once. But, um, <laughs> especially when dinner's popcorn, especially when dinner's popcorn, but, but, um, I just, I try to fit it all in. Right. Um, I'm just not one of these guys that if you, if you got, you know, that say, Oh, well, you know, my, my near, my next appointment availability is two months from now. Like I just try to fit it all in. And so, but there is, there is a day coming where I'm going to, I'm going to videotape through on my phone and a river or something. and just give it up. I am going to just snap one day. So where do you do your thinking though, Joe? I mean, you've, you've got a successful bunch of stuff going on. There's got to be time when you are, thinking is that during your workouts is it a time where you spend five minutes where 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 are there must be moments somewhere in your day where you are being mindful to think and ponder and create is is there that's the exact moment when i work out or or do a race like this weekend or in scotland you know out there 30 40 hours on the mountainside man my mind is like a pinball machine i'm coming up with ideas and thinking about things it's uh that's that's where I should be all time. Uh, we will let you get back to your birthday party, and we do appreciate you taking time out to be with us for October. One last question. Given the fact you're going to go into a bunch of four kids in a cinema, 
In in your mind, what's the most important thing we can say to our kids? Mm, that's a great question because my wife would tell me I need to tell them I love them more and hug them and whisper sweet nothing into their ears. And um, I like to, I like to tell them more burpees, toughen up. Let's go for a run. I think um, <laughs> I think um, in reality we are animals and. I'm just being logical here with this statement, so I'm sorry for the mom, so I'll say this guy's an asshole, but um, I, we're animals, and our job as animals is to prepare them for the animal kingdom. And any other animal, we just nudge them out, train them, and toughen them up. And so, um, of course, you want to show them some love, and I even I even broke my rules, and I'm taking them to the movies, right? We're doing a little birthday party here. But um, I would say... Uh, I don't know. You can go the easy way, the hard way. Which is you got to always go the hard way, or or ninety percent of the time go the hard way because otherwise it's not fair. You're not you're not really setting them up for what life life really is. So is it? Do you think perhaps it's a combo between you and Courtney, where you get the light and shade, where they know they're loved, but at the same time they're developing the grit, resilience, and backbone. I am definitely the dark side. My wife is the light side, <laughs> and I don't think they. I think if they had a choice, they would not want to hang out with the dark side ever. But I'm, yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> I think, I think. I'll tell you what, mate, all you've said on the podcast and all I've known about you, Courtney's a keeper, mate, to, to, to be able to bear up and deal with Joe DeSena, she really must be something. I got a friend that was a, a writer for Esquire magazine. He's interviewed Nelson Mandela. He's interviewed Muhammad Ali, Gerard Butler, every famous person you could think of. This guy's been interviewed in the best of the best forever. He met me. And selfishly, I'm talking to him. I want to get interviewed by him. I'd be good for me. And he says, dude, I want to interview your wife. I don't know how the hell she lives with you. She would be. <laughs> so I'm with you. Just uh, one final thing. Um, is it true you live on an organic farm, Joe? It's true that we did live on an organic farm. We have a farm in Vermont, and um, we still own it. But the last two years, uh, I lived in Asia. I lived in Singapore for a year and Japan for a year. Now we're heading over to Vancouver, so. We spent a little bit of time on that farm uh, this summer, but but most of the time we've been living overseas uh, to push Spartan out into different regions of the world. I'm honored that you guys interviewed me, and I'm heading into the birthday party. I'll see you later. Hi, ladies and gentlemen, you're in for a great treat right now. It's Rocktober on the Mojo Radio Show. Rocktober kicking off with a bang. That's a kick in the guts. That's what it is. It's a kick in the <laughs> it's guts. A big kick in the guts. <laughs> God, that guy took a fire in the belly. It's funny, you know. It's we've had this theme of grit and resilience through mm. the last 150 odd shows. They are odd, odd shows of the, of the Mojo Radio Show. We, this theme of resilience and grit. But I've got to say. In the vernacular of right now, in Rocktober 2017, it's now being termed as fire in the belly. It's very interesting. The terms have changed and now people are talking about fire in the belly. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 t- I tell you what, I'm going to go out I'm going to get myself a backpack and I'm going to put a whole bunch of hand weights in there and carry it around. <laughs> I love that story. Uh, it will. It will astound you, particularly when you think about how much weight some people are carrying mm. uh, when you put a backpack on with 10 or 20 kilos in it. Yeah. When you realise how much weight some people are carrying, when you put a, a backpack on yeah. with 10, 15, 20 kilos, whatever, in it, and you start walking, go and walk a couple of Ks with it, you realise how much effort and energy is being drained by people by carrying extra weight. It's just phenomenal. Well, that's what occurred to me because I've, I've dropped 18 kilos over winter 
So I would be interested to put that in a backpack and go for a walk or go for a uh, take the dog for a run or go play at the park with Sophie and just see what a difference it does make. It's a feed sack. I mean, you go to the feed barns, you get a 20 kilo bag, pick it up, put it over your shoulder and you realise that 24-7 you're lugging that thing around. It's insane. I, I, I cannot imagine what people go through. I just mm. You just can't unless you're doing it. You just don't. And I think the thing is... People are carrying this weight and they're so used to it, it becomes normal. And that's the problem today yeah. is being overweight and having to strain with all this has become the new norm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It makes you wonder why we put ourselves through it. But I suppose sometimes it's um, it's more mental than physical too, I guess. Now I'm going to show you how to make radio. So this, you'll need high-fidelity stereophonic sound. And also a bit of music. And then, of course, mojo, baby, yeah! There's one I made earlier. Now, folks, I would say that the episode we did recently with Michael Gervais, who's the mental and psychological coach for the Seattle Seahawks, was unquestionably one of the greatest shows that we have recorded. And it's not just me that says it. I got a lovely note from Stephen Ford, Fordsy. Fordsy, Fordster. Fordster. (laughs) We could call him a mover, Ford Pills. Ford Pills. Moving forward, the mover, the mover. mover. The mover, the shaker and, and mover. And uh, Fordsy works for the Bullbeck Group. I got a lovely note during the week. There's two things now. I got this lovely note from um, from Fordsy. Mm. Michael Gervais was amazing. I listened to the podcast twice so that wow. I didn't miss any of the gold and I will listen a third time so I can write the tips down. That's actually a good thought, you know. I've said to people before, when you start getting into a show that you really like, you can actually save it. And then it's saved offline. And then when you open up your podcast, you will see a saved tab where you have all your gold saved because I think a lot of these shows, one listen doesn't do it. So that's a good tip. Thanks, Fordsy. Second Mm. thing is Gervais' description of masters playing in the spaces between the spaces and understanding nuances that others can't was very enlightening but also somewhat daunting for a generalist like me. Uh, yeah, ditto, ditto here, Fordsy. <laughs> I have heard people talking about living in the present, being present, living for the now, etc. But the way he described life as being a series of moments and being at your best at every moment just made sense. And it's not what's coming up, it's this moment right here, right now, as you listen to this podcast, how do you be the world's best? Uh, good point, Fordsy. I have subscribed to his podcast. Look forward to hearing more about mastery. Thanks for introducing me to Michael Gervais in helping me with my mojo. Keep up the good work. Thanks, Fordsy. Uh, now, the thing, with, thing you want to think about, folks, as part of Rocktober is that these sorts of notes get our mojo working. And if you flip onto iTunes, go into ratings and reviews, leave us a one-line review and a star rating about the show during the month of Rocktober, and you'll get the rocker feel, Robert. The Rocktober rocket fuel. In fact, we should do this. Now, let me set this up. Rocktober rocket fuel is a freebie for you, and it's real. <laughs> it actually is a real source. Yes, this does exist. Although I haven't seen it yet, Mr. Bert Whistle. Well, actually, I've just finished my bottle. Um, I'm right. going to get on. I'm going to go to Rodney from Chili Bob yeah. and see if I can get some for no, me. Personally. No, no, no. I was going to say you finished yours, so it's on to mine now. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. A negative, negatory, good buddy. Uh, Now, folks, it's naturally fermented, which actually means it's healthy. 
Uh, it's brewed, not cooked. It is a combo of three different types of chili, KN, Carolina Reaper, and Ghost, which are two of the hottest in the world. Now, this is a really beautiful, smoky, Louisiana, Memphis-style chili sauce made up of some really nice chili, some of the world's best delivered to you in a little bottle. It's Rocktober Rocket Fuel. It's yours free. We'll pay for the freight. We'll pay for the sending. Thank you to our mates at Chili Bomb and to Matt at Bear Brewing, who has brewed and fermented the brew for us. Uh, it's a good team effort, and uh, all you've got to do, and this is serious, just go onto iTunes, leave a review. I've never heard anybody anywhere in the podcast world do something at their own expense. Uh, just to get, and the reason people leave reviews is that it becomes more and more prevalent to people that we're a quality show. We can talk to more people, help them get their mojo working. We don't make any money out of this at all. Hello, our friends at Tim Tams. In fact, quite the opposite. <laughs> Mind you, uh, we're going to be transparent. We did get two, two cases of beer from Doseki, which was sweet. Thank you, Doseki. And we did get a bottle of Rocket Fuel each. Well, one of us, one of us did. Yeah, well, one of us got two bottles. <laughs> On the Mojo Radio Show, it's Rocktober. Hey guys, this is Malcolm and Joseph from Dead Daisies. Hi, this is Ivan Davies from My South, and it's Rocktober on the Mojo Radio Show. The Rocktober flashback. flashback. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't give up your day job. <laughs> so, uh, part of Rocktober is doing some fun segments, but I wanted to do a flashback because um, I love this band. And this was a moment on the Mojo Radio Show in the middle of last year that I thought just was an, a great great moment in rock. It was a great lesson in rock, and it all came back to rock and innovation. Here's King of the North. this you've got i mean we just played some of the album on the show it's a big sound it's a rocking sound and yeah. it really is coming out of just you and a drummer yeah. is that right yeah correct yeah it's yeah it's uh, it's due to the, the pedal that i created which um which enables me to um put one guitar signal in and multiply it three ways so when i run out to three different amplifiers it's no different to having three players, like a bass player, a lead guitarist, and a rhythm player. And the pedal has functions that enable me to, like on the record, you can hear when the, all of the three guitars are mixing together. And sometimes when they're separated, like you've actually got a bass part, a, a rhythm guitar part, and the lead guitar part all going around each other. So, um, you know, when you can do that and then you can sing as well, then you only really need a drummer to um, fill out the sound of a five-piece band, you know, so it was just an idea, it seemed to work and people like it, so cool. Without going into how it works, you're playing yeah. a single guitar and then that's going into this pedal, which then essentially breaks yeah. up the signal and sends it to three amps, is that right? Yeah, so it, it sort of gets the signal and it splits it into three different ways and then um, there's different functions in that that enable me to make like, a 
simulate a bass signal that runs to a bass amp. There's another one that goes through um, other things, you know, like there's a, there's, it's got like an onboard loop pedal which enables me to record while I'm playing. So I'll, you know, record a chorus while I'm singing it. Um, I'm talking about the rhythm guitar part here and then I'll play it back and then I'll solo over it with the lead amp. So it's, it's like having a lead player suddenly appear on the stage when it's all coming out of the one guitar. So, That's amazing. Um, yeah, there'll be sections in songs where people will see me on stage and I'm playing a guitar and it just sounds like a bass. And you, know, you can <laughs> wow. people that haven't seen a band for often looking around going, where's the bass player? Where's the other guy? Have you had to change the way you you write or the way you play the guitar to make it work, or it is? It... Yeah, yeah, I had to change the way I wrote to suit the technology, and that's why with the pedal, this is sort of like the second generation of it, the one mm. I'm using at the moment, mm. and this one has a couple of extra bells and whistles, um, like some mute switches that enable me to switch um, the signal on and off post the loop stage of the, of the pedal. I know that's probably just gone over everyone's heads, but. I'm with you. I'm there. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is that it's, it's given me a couple of um, extra little arranging uh, tools that I can work with with writing a song. So the songs on this new album um, have a little bit more, I guess Dex is a word, but a little, they're a little bit different because of what I can do with the pedal. You've actually got those guys on high rotation on your iPod, don't you? Yeah, i got to say, I already dig these guys. I, um, I love what they do and how they do it. And I think it's astonishing that that sound came out of a two-piece band. Yeah. Crazy, right? Crazy but cool. Well, it is crazy but cool. And that little piece that I played um, actually came from a guy called Andrew Higgs and Higgsy. Higgsy. Higgs, the Higgsmeister. They're playing with some amazing people um, around the world as support and doing their own shows, of course. But the piece we played was Andrew Higgs and he built what they call a three-in-one guitar pedal. Now, the pedal itself creates the sound of two guitars plus the bass, but it all comes out of one guitar. So by him playing one guitar, he can actually send out three different sounds that make it sound like the whole band's playing together. So there's a separate lead rhythm and bass sound. And what happens is, as he says during the show, uh, People go to the show and think there's somebody backstage behind the curtain playing because there's only Higgsy and the drummer. And that amazing sound you just heard is coming out of the band. They're only a two-piece. And it was an innovation he made. He just saw a problem as all great entrepreneurial ideas start. You solve your own problem, your mates like it, then you commercialise it, and he's done that. And uh, I just think it's a great rock table piece, great band, great sound, an amazing innovation. And you just don't hear that sort of stuff. So um, we love Higgsy. Higgsy, King of the North. good on him. Not quite as cool as, as Higgsy and King of the North, but I'm going to mention a guy who had a problem and overcame it as well, <laughs> but in his own little way, because I think this is a great story. A guy called yeah, Mike that, Watt. Uh, you, you, you know you can actually get a, a little ointment for that, though, that little problem you've got. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit itchy right now, but, you know. I've this. got this friend. Uh, just say I had a friend and he's got this little scratching. There's a guy called Mike Warren, lives in small town USA. And he rides his push bike to and from work every day. And he got sick to death of having to get new rims for his bike because the, the city council wasn't doing a great job of cleaning up all the potholes on his route from home to work. So he made himself a little trailer for his bike. And every afternoon he rides out and he fills two potholes in the city streets. Really? <laughs> yeah, much to the ire of the, of the city council who are telling them that he's doing something illegal and that he should cease and desist. But he's yet to give up. So, um, so the Mojo Radio Show is well behind Mike Warren. Go hard, son. 
don't give up, don't let the bastards win. Go, Rabs. The Mojo Radio Show. So we come to the end of week one of Rocktober and I've put a little bit of thought into this week's Play Out Song, Birdie, because I wanted to come up with something that was just as inspirational as our time with Joe DeSena. So... I've plucked this little story from the Voodoo Sound archives. This was recorded with uh, an Australian band called The Angels who had a few hits overseas uh, in the the 80s and 90s but were probably better known here in Australia, certainly very big here in Australia. Um, But this is their lead singer, Doc Neeson. Uh, He's talking about one of the first times they played in LA and actually played the classic Whiskey A Go-Go, a place where, like, Bands like The Doors, The Who's, Led Zeppelin, all these amazing bands had played. But the story starts with them being up on stage playing their gig and I'll let Doc take it from there. Well, you can just imagine, here's, here's us, a bunch of, of Aussies um, playing Whiskey A Go-Go, which is a really uh, high-profile showcase venue in LA. And we got virtually to the end of the show, just launching into the, the big opening chords of Marseille, when who should sort of pop out of the audience but Angry Anderson grinning from ear to ear and then moments later Slash and Axel and Duff, the bass player, got up and joined in. I moved over and, and had Axel standing beside me and I thought, what are they going to do? And it turns out that when they were a band that was coming through, they used to have Marseille in their, in their set they liked the band so much, and, and so they knew that song perfectly. So it was, it was a full rock-out night in the end. So you know what I take from that is an Australian band doing their thing in the pubs are influencing one of the greatest international rock bands of their time. Mm. And the thing for me is I don't think we always recognise the fact that no matter what we're doing in our actions, our words our approach to life, our attitude is reflected back quite often by the people and we're inspiring or influencing other people, especially our children. And I think what's really cool about that is the angels were just doing their thing and holding themselves to a standard, yet that standard was influencing a band around the world who then recognised them. And game recognises game, right? That's a new saying for the show. It's up on the studio wall. Game recognises game. The gunners recognised what the angels were bringing to them. And I think... Rocktober is a representation of that. Is it is us holding ourselves to a higher standard. The production through this show has just been amazing. Well, thanks, mate. You know I always look forward to Rocktober. It's a great chance to have a bit of fun with this show. But to take us out this week, we may be in Sydney, Australia. We are a truly global program. To take us out this week, I think just as Axel and Duff and Slash did, we should head to Marseille.
Mojo Radio Show is produced and recorded in the studios of Voodoo Sound. For more tips and tools to get your mojo working, check us out on Facebook at the Mojo Radio Show or online at themojoradioshow.com. For more about Gary, see GaryBurtWhistle.com or to polish your next audio or video production, check out VoodooSound.com.au and for the right voice, RealtimeCasting.com Andrew Peters speaking. See you next time.